0: FitSpeak fans, if you've ever wondered what it would be like to ride your bike for almost 25 days straight, then this FitSpeak podcast edition is just for you. Meet 32-year-old ultra-cyclist Megan Hackinen from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Megan just completed the 2017 Transamerica Bike Race, finishing 25th overall and first ever solo Canadian woman to finish this grueling 6,900km cycling race. Welcome to the Fraser Valley's Health, Wellness, and Endurance Sports Podcast, Megan.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, and for the listeners out there, if we sound a little tinny, that's because we're recording this podcast using a brand new app, and it's called The Phone Bowl. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again. Thanks for um, calling and um, chatting with us. So, um... Everyone, we're talking with Megan. She's just completed uh, the 2017 Transamerica Bike Race. Astounded, blown away, and we're quite happy to be talking with her and able to um, just learn more about this this uh, epic ride. Um, so, Megan, tell us about the Transamerica Bike Race and why did you decide to compete in the race?
1: Uh-huh. Trans Am Bike Race is a 6,900-kilometer self-supported road race across the state. It starts in Astoria, Oregon, and it finishes in Yorktown, Virginia. Um, It goes through 10 states, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Kentucky, Virginia, and I was really excited to do it. I guess this is the fourth year of the event. It started in 2014, and I heard about it through the video um, or documentary, He Inspired to Ride. You can check it out on Netflix if you're interested. Um, And I've done a lot of cycle touring. Um, I cycled across Canada. I cycled to Mexico. And I did those rides at a slower pace, about 100 kilometers a day. And I knew from uh, watching the film that people do this race um, basically as fast as they can and so the idea of uh, pushing myself and finding out what I was capable of on the road really intrigued me.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 25 days. I'm just um, trying to get my head back. 24 days and
1: 22 hours. Just,
0: just under the 25 day mark. Ah, yes. And there was a point <laughs> there is a point to this and the point was that you had Said to yourself, you made a goal of completing it in under twenty-five days. Correct?
1: That's correct. Yep. Um, that was a, a goal from the outset, and you know, the first few days I was really on target with my cycling times, and then it started to to drag down a bit, and then I lost sight of my goal, and I um, was actually reminded by another cyclist. Um, and he kinda of said to me, like, Hey, weren't you weren't you trying to make it in during twenty five days? And I was like, Well, yeah, it was and he was like, Well, you're not gonna get there unless you pick up your feet a little bit and I was like, Holy smokes. Yeah, he's right. Like if I do the math I'm gonna to have to um, gonna have to, you know, push a little bit harder and I think we had that conversation maybe in Wyoming or Colorado. Um, yeah, so it was pretty happy to be able to make it in that window just by two hours
0: were you do you recall where you were like at the side of the road were you in a campground when he was speaking with you and you know um speaking to um, you? i think
1: it might have been in a like a little motel room um I was cycling with two other guys at that point, uh, one uh, from Germany and one from Switzerland, and we were going into Yellowstone, and there was massive headwinds. Like, it was really terrible, and we had about, like, uh hundred kilometers stretch ahead of us and we started cycling into it and we were not going faster than 10 kilometers an hour it was terrible we're getting blown off the road into the rumble strip and um one of the rules to the bike race is that you're not allowed to draft so you know we're staggered out on this road we're not able to help each other um and just really suffering we kind of stopped and reevaluated if what we're doing actually makes sense um would it be better to you know maybe stop now, get a good night's sleep or get some sleep and then continue on later. So, um, yeah, we kind of decided it was best to just stop and start again later when the winds were hopefully quieter. So we went and found a motel room, um, three beds, booked it, slept from about 5 p.m. until maybe midnight, um, probably not even that, and then started out again when the wind was a bit gentler. So, um... Yeah, it gave us an opportunity to uh, do some laundry and have some pizza, and we had that conversation in the uh, in the hotel room, kind of or the motel room, just
0: you know, talking about talking about the race and what we were hoping to accomplish. Wow, that's incredible! Now, for the people who are listening, um, the Trans Am bike race it had 131 riders on the start line this year. Um, and for American listeners, um, they the ride the race was 4,297 miles long. I just wanted to uh, reiterate that because it's it's so massive, right? Now just before we I ask another question here, when you finish in Yorkton, Virginia, what's the what's the setting? Is it, a, is it a monument that you finish at?
1: Yeah, it's a, a
0: monument
1: um, kind of on the ocean. So it's pretty exciting because you're kind of coming up to the ocean for the first time in a long time. Um, I arrived, like, early in the morning, so the mm-hmm. last couple hours we're riding through sunrise. So you got yeah. the sky turning all those cool colors, and, you know, everyone's kind of waking up around you, like, ridden through the night. Um, that area is... Uh, Got a lot of like history and mm-hmm. heritage to it. Don't ask me about it. I can't actually tell you. I was too busy mm-hmm. <laughs> riding my bike and yeah. not sleeping. Um, but it was a uh, it was pretty cool to ride up to the to the monument, and mm-hmm. you can kind of see it as you're. Um, I think you can see it as you're approaching. I can't even remember now. I was just so excited following the line in my GPS telling me that I was you know, just finally seeing that little flag that says finish. Um, yeah. And the really cool thing about arriving is that, you know, I didn't know if anyone was going to be there. Um, I rode in with a cyclist that I had met on the route, Matthias um, from Germany, and we cycled quite a bit of it to, like, together. Um, yeah, so we didn't know if anyone was going to be there to, to see us and greet us, but there, there was a handful of people, so it was pretty exciting to, you know,
0: mm-hmm feel really like like you're being celebrated and this is, uh, this is kind of a big deal and mm-hmm. it's great to have other people around to share that moment, right? So That's right and everybody I'm sure who is at the finish line is you know deeply connected to the event and and probably other cyclists as well there, right? So, yeah, definitely. You know, so they're sharing the you know almost the equivalent of the, the, the same amount of joy that you're experiencing at that moment now well, um this one couple, oh go ahead no Hi. i'm sorry go ahead oh this is one couple um chuck
1: and ann i think her name is and they come out to greet like all of the riders they just drive out uh from 10 miles away and they're just, they watch the dots they know when you're arriving and they just come in congratulate you on your accomplishment and kind of, you know, ask if there's anything you need, any, um, a ride to the bike shop or help figuring out how you're going to get home and, and they, they do this any time of day for all of the cyclists. So the kind of, um, the kind of people that support this race, they're just really awesome and, uh, yeah, it really makes a difference to the racers,
0: I think. Mm, yeah, no, I can believe that. You're, you're uber, uber volunteer. they all always- Yeah. They're always appreciated. What were your goals going into the race, and how did you how did you feel about your results? Uh,
1: so when I started the race, I wanted to uh, finish in under twenty five days, and I wanted to, um, I guess, toughen up a little bit. Like I'm used to cycling, um, and kind of having a really nice camp set up and having my tent and my sleeping mat and my stove and cooking a good meal and, you know, maybe having a beer and enjoying a view out over the lake. Um, For this ride, I wanted to be really minimalist because I knew that in order to, you know, climb all the hills and do all the passes, I just wouldn't be able to make it if I was carrying a lot of gear. I just didn't, you know can trust my muscles to be lugging my full touring gear with me. So I just packed, a, like, an emergency bivy, um, and uh, it was, like, a down quilt that I bought at Costco for $13, and they stitched into a sleeping bag shape because it was too cheap to buy an ultralight sleeping bag. So, um, yeah, I think I, I wanted to kind of prove to myself that I was a little bit tougher than I thought, but I slept on that on, on the ground and on picnic tables, and I did stay in quite a few motels, but... Um, you know, I think being able to cycle all day
0: and uh, kind of have that minimal sleeping arrangement kind of shows me that I was, you know, capable of putting myself out there and dealing with the, with the environment a bit more than maybe I thought I was able to. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because every time you say one thing, it just, it opens up doors to new questions. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, for instance... You're sleeping in campgrounds. Where 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 were you finding yourself sleeping? In That's your- a good question.
1: Um, before I started the race I kinda figured I'd just sleep whenever I was tired and it would be that simple. But it's it's not. There's a lot of um you know, a lot of farms and a lot of like kinda open rangelands and there's nothing wrong with that except that well, there's more bugs and there's kind of that like Spiky grass; it isn't so easy to sleep on. So, um, the in general, I kind of split it up between um, city parks, mm-hmm. and those are kind of campgrounds um, in Kansas East, and they're not necessarily in cities. They're just like have small towns that have a little area that you can camp in, um, and they're just general, kind of yeah, just kind of parks that you're cyclists are allowed to camp in. So it's really cool. Um, I slept at a couple churches, both outside and inside. Uh, A lot of churches along the route open up their doors to cyclists. So you can, you know, show up at this church, and there'll be a phone number on the door, and you call the number, and, like, the pastor will come on over any time, day or night, and um, show you around, show you where you can sleep, often there's showers. So that was really a cool experience for me. Um, I stayed in a hostel, and, yeah, a lot of kind of small-town American hotels or motels, I guess. Um, And that was a really good opportunity to get a good night's sleep, well, for four hours, Um, have a shower, and wash my cycling shorts, which is super important. Mm
0: -hmm. How many, well, it sounds to me as though when you were riding, I mean, there was, for a good part of the ride you uh, a lot of the ride was by yourself is that true would that be right uh
1: i think i did about third of it by myself and kind of two-thirds of it i cycled um with matthias Mm -hmm. um and we just kind of had a similar pace so um yeah it worked out really well you don't necessarily like get along with every cyclist you meet on the road Mm -hmm. like you know, you might get along for an hour or two, but then you find out that you eat at different times. You know, one person needs to break every half hour or hour to have a granola bar, and the other person wants to power through for six hours and, um, you know, not stop to pee. Um, or you have different sleeping schedules. But we kind of, like, just think up our routines really easily. And uh, I think one of the advantages of cycling um, with someone else is um, sharing the costs on the motels. Um, Mm -hmm. When you convert it into American dollars, you know, everything adds up. So that was really beneficial. Um, Yeah, and then just kind of having someone to, like, share some of these cool experiences with. Um, And then for night riding, too, I definitely felt more confident riding with someone at night than I would have felt on my own. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, there's something that feels so, like, badass and awesome about, you know, night riding into some small town and just kinda rolling through while everyone's sleeping and uh I really enjoy night riding and I think that um yeah, I really enjoy night riding, it's fun. But there are times when it's a little spooky, you're out in the woods or you're kind of in the middle of nowhere and if something happens, um you know, it's, it's a scary thought, and that something could be—you know—getting hit by a car, or you know, falling asleep and crashing into a ditch, or you know, like anything. So it definitely felt a little bit safer with someone else around you. Um, and it's one of the rules is we're not not allowed to draft. So often when we were riding in the day, you know, we were. Far enough apart that we couldn't really have a conversation with each other anyways. Um, but at night, you could ride side by side on the road if it's a quiet road. And then, you know, when a car goes up, holds uh, up, just getting that single file arrangement again. So a lot of the roads, there wasn't as much traffic at night. So that was really cool too, to um, you know, be out there and not have to worry as much about
0: cars, I guess. Did they have a, a, a um, certain distance um, that you were supposed to have between each other while you were riding?
1: No, there was no set distance. Um, the organizer of the Trans Transcend Bike Race, Nathan Jones, he's not really like, uh, he's not really big on like, tons of rules. He's kind of like, you know if you're cheating, so don't cheat, because you're really, you know, you're just going to hurt yourself, and if you're not, I feel like that's his philosophy, kind of, if, like, um, people are kind of generally honest, and stick to the rules that they're they're laid out and
0: you don't need, um, you know, a rule Nazi. But
1: yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there was no set distance and yeah, there was no set distance. Um, I'm trying to think of the other rules. Like you are not allowed to receive, um, outside support unless it's available to anyone. So, um, for instance, if I was writing down, Highway, and like I had a friend, um, and they you know lived on the route. I couldn't just go and have dinner and stay at their place unless they offered that to everyone on the route, and it was um, like known and available. So oh. there's uh, that, that, you know, like shops and motels and stuff are fair game, but private residences and um, you know, friends of friends are not.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny, I wonder how they arrive at those. Kinds of rules, but um, there must be a reason why. I just wanted to kind of go back to the, the the church here. Now, you mentioned washing your your clothes and your kit and stuff. How much? I guess how much apparel, cycling apparel, did you pack with you? Uh,
1: that's a good question. Uh, one of everything, and no underpants. So it was really yeah, just down to what I actually needed. So I had one pair of socks, one pair of cycling shorts, one cycling jersey. I had a rain jacket. I had arm warmers. I had leg warmers. Um, I had rain chaps. I don't know if you've ever seen those. They look pretty goofy, but they kind of you know go on to you like horse riding chaps, and they protect the front of your legs but not the back. Um, I had my cycling cleats. Um, I had a bandana. I had my cycling uh, cap, my helmet, um, a pair of uh, fingerless riding gloves, and then a pair of warmer gloves, um, and then I had shorts and a t-shirt to sleep in, and yeah, it got pretty cold around Yellowstone. I wasn't quite prepared for that, so I actually bought a down jacket at a thrift store for like $3 and used it for some of those. Uh, higher elevation places. Um, I used it for less than a week and then just dropped it off when I was coming down from uh, Hooser Pass and donated it to someone. Wow. So that was one piece of packing I definitely um, should have brought. I should have had a, a like a really warm down jacket. Um, and I uh, was lucky to find one at the thrift store and decide to buy one at the right time because I think I would have been in trouble if I
0: didn't buy it at that moment. So Yeah, thankfully, because... Riding when you're cold is, that gets to be pretty difficult, and it gets to be pretty painful too, and, um... Oh, definitely. Oh, I had boot covers
1: as well. I had, like, yeah, good boot covers.
0: Neoprene? Neoprene?
1: Um, they were, like, leaf-lined, and I don't know what they were on the outside. Maybe neoprene, but they were kind of waterproof and windproof. I bought them for riding in the prairies when it's, like, minus 10 and cold, so, um super valuable. I use them quite a bit on the descent. Um, I did not try them on with the cleats I wore for the race though, which were like mountain biking cleats. I just used them for my road cleats. So when I went to put them on the first time, I couldn't zip them up. My shoes were too big and I felt like a pretty big idiot. Um, So I had like, um, yeah, a couple of volunteers at the hospital I was at trying to help me do my shoes and with like three of us We got them zipped up, and that was the only time I
0: was able to zip them up. After that, I had to leave them unzipped. So, yeah, things that you should think about. Trial your equipment on ahead of time. Yeah. And um, so leading up to the days of the race, right? Uh, Actually, one other question. Um, The the training leading up to this event, what were you – how were you – Training, what were you doing? Were you prepared? Uh, Yeah, so I um, moved to Saskatoon from Vancouver a couple
1: of years ago. And one of the big adjustments to living here is the long, cold winters. Um, And I've turned into a winter cyclist, and I don't mind commuting, but I'm not going to go out and do like a 100-kilometer training ride when it's minus 30 degrees and you're riding on the highway. uh, That is no fun in my books. So I think adjusting my routine to train for this event was one of the bigger challenges. Um, I got a pass to one of the local spin studios, Ride YXE, and I did spin classes like six days a week um, and just really trying to get my... uh, I guess I'm a masher and my pedal strokes, and I tend to like just pound on them slowly instead of spinning. So I kind of hope that spin would help correct that and it definitely did and, and it's really, I don't know, I like spin. It's fun. You listen to music, you move around, um, it's indoors so I don't have to wear all of my outdoor cycling kit. that's cool. So I did a lot of spin. Um, I did a lot of core work and strength work as well and I just tried to focus on what's I knew my limitations were, so in previous years, like on tour, I had really bad, like, neck and shoulder pain, and I have an old roller derby injury in my left shoulder that still kind of bugs me, so uh, after a long day of biking, I can just have this, like, steering pain in my shoulder and my neck sometimes, so I wanted to correct that, and from what I kind of understood is it might be some problems in my core that were just, I don't guess, weakness, uh, just weakness. So I really wanted to take the winter to, to work on that, um, and since I couldn't be outside training like a lot of the you know competitors who live south of the border in Florida and California and warmer states, I um, you know really wanted to use my use my time well, I guess, even though I couldn't be outside. Um, so yeah, a mix of spin, core, and strength training, and the core and strength I just kind of did in my own house with some. Um, yeah, some weights and a yoga mat and some resources that I had from Roller Derby and yeah, a book on core training for cyclists, which was really useful,
0: I guess. So I, I haven't heard you mention Zwift or anything like that, so you didn't, uh, you didn't take your, your, your training online at all? You, you just um, did it kind of old school and, and uh, just with a lot of grit and determination? say that
1: um, I think this sounds really cool and I, I definitely hope to try it I don't have an indoor trainer and when I got the um, pass for the spin studio I was kind of trying to decide between getting an indoor trainer or the, the winter pass and I decided to do the winter pass just so that I could be really social and connected to the community, because I, I like meeting people, and um, I knew that I would have a lot of fun going to spin class, and I kind of worried that I would be uh, having a hard time to stay motivated if I was working out at home all the time. Um, but I, I would like to try Zwift. It looks like a lot of fun. I
0: like watch videos on YouTube, and I think I could get into it and have a lot of Um, You know, have socialization there. I guess. Yeah. Um, It 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 works. Have you tried it? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's it's great. It's fantastic. I I don't have a problem. Like here in Vancouver, I can ride in the rain and it's not so so bad, right? Whereas you know, other guys I know, they're fully dedicated and they they spend their life on Zwift, right? and um it's a good it's it's perfect for training i mean on the hard hard you know winter days you know yeah get on your bike and zwift um and i guess in your situation you know minus 25 30 like it's it'll be perfectly ideal for you to just spend your time there's a whole zwift community as well too right so it's you know and they have like it's great training they have a calendar that you can work from and you know every hour of oh every hour um of every day is allotted for on this calendar and you just go to it you just can sign in you can race with people you can ride with people it's i think you'll be quite impressed um you'll probably honestly want to do a couple of days of that but then of course you know, you'll want to socialize as well. So, um, the spin classes will, you know, definitely pay off there as well. Right. So you can, you can kind of capitalize on both.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm definitely going to invest in a trainer for this winter. Um, so I'll be sure to check it out and yeah, and,
0: yeah. You'll, you'll be quite happy. See what's now, going on. Yeah. So now leading up to the days of the race, um, there must have been a lot going through your head. Put us into put us into your your mindset for sort of what was kind of going through your head leading up to getting organized and then arriving on the start line.
1: Um. Yeah. So I did my kind of indoor winter stuff the last two months before the race. I was riding outdoors a lot. Um. I was also contracted to organize Bike to Work uh, YXE, which is our Bike to Work Day and kind of events surrounding that. So I was super busy with that, and it was definitely a distraction from uh, my preparations for the race. And I I think it it wasn't a good thing, but it did kind of prevent me from getting overly um, nervous and worked up about it just because I had to dedicate so much time to... Uh, organizing this event on top of my, um, you know, regular day job. So, uh, I guess I would say that I was very distracted and I was kind of waiting to, um, finish up organizing back to work day so I could kind of dedicate the last, I don't know, 10 days before my departure to getting ready. So it was a lot of, um, kind of just organizing. I had, I had my, yeah, I had my gear pretty much sorted a couple of months ahead of time, and, um, you know, I had my arrow bars set up how I liked them, I had my bike seat set where I liked it, I had all my bags, and I had an idea of what I was going to bring. The day before the event, of course, I was, like, picking up a bike box from a bike store being like, oh, man, didn't think about this, Um, and, you know, taking my bike apart and putting it in there and making sure that I knew how to put it back together again i just got this bike in november so i'm not uh, as familiar with it as i have been with other bikes Mm -hmm. so um yeah the night before the event i'm like taking my bike apart and putting it in this box and and i was like oh i better put it back together again so i know i can do it in the airport in portland so
0: i had to like pack up twice um and yeah so that
1: was like a little bit stressful but that's that's classic me i guess Mm -hmm. um and I flew from Saskatoon into Portland. Um, Portland is the kind of closest big airport to Astoria. Uh, Seattle's also pretty close. Um, and I like met another cyclist, um, David Campbell from Thunder Bay, and he was on the, the flight with me from I don't know maybe Vancouver to Portland. So it was cool to just be able to talk with him about race and you know meet someone else on the plane. We actually recognized each other instantly because we're both carrying like you know just like plastic bags with our stuff in it and we're wearing like our cycling cleats and yeah we looked a little bit funny um so yeah i roll off the plane so my bike up in the airport um the portland airport has the tools and dedicated area to set up your uh, bike they also have a bike pump they have like maps showing how to get to the train how to kind of leave the airport on bike routes, so that was really cool um, as I'm saying, on my bike, I realized I forgot my helmet, so that was kind of priority number one, was buying a helmet. Um, Portland's a super bike-friendly city, though, so that wasn't really um, really very hard, and it was actually kind of fun to get to check out a couple bike shops and talk to them about what I was doing and stuff. So um, I stayed in Portland for one night, and uh, one of the cyclists who lived there was uh, arranging kind of, you know, some people went to the bar and he put out a call kind of on the group Facebook page, if anybody wanted to join them. And I went out and got to meet some cyclists from Portland who weren't doing a race, who were just supporters of it and some of the other racers. So that was
0: really cool. It helped kind of make me feel a bit more comfortable just meeting people who were doing it and kind of facing the same nerves and, you know, butterflies as I was. And uh, just getting to bike around Portland was really fun too. It was a really cool city. How did you get down to Astoria then? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh,
1: it was almost 200 kilometers, maybe like 180, 190. Um, and there was a group of us that cycled. Somebody organized it, and uh, you know, put the GPS file online, and you could download it. And we all met up um, in downtown Portland. I think there was maybe like 25, 30 riders. There was a whole bunch of people that were all kind of doing, you know, doing the trans. Just <laughs> to get to meet people, and I don't do a lot of group riding. I do most of my riding on my own, so it was uh, it was it was fun. Uh, I just remember all of us kind of leaving the city together and climbing the hills out of Portland, and you know, getting getting um, getting comfortable, I guess, um, on the bikes and knowing that we're going to be doing this for the next month, almost. Right? Um, yeah, so it was a really fun ride out to um, Astoria, and kind of a chance to. I guess just make sure my bike, you know, I put it back together correctly. Make sure nothing's damaged from the flight, and um, yeah, it was it was a really good, really good ride. Astoria was uh, was really fun too. I stayed at a Warm Showers host. Um, so if you don't know what Warm Showers is, it's like kind of a cycling hospitality network for cycling. Um, yeah, it's a hospitality network for cyclists. So um, I kind of found someone who was able to host me, and it turned out he was hosting like five other cyclists. So it was a really cool place to to stay because everyone was gearing up for the ride and really excited and our host was great like um yeah we we met up the night before the ride at the one of the breweries and there's just tons of racers there everyone chatting getting to know
0: each other and uh, really really fun event so you did uh now when you arrived in Astoria how many days before the race um, was to begin Um, so
1: I arrived in Astoria on Thursday and had Friday to kind of get you know do some final preparations Um, I got my hair buzzed off at a barber I found some lithium batteries for my um, spot tracker Um, bought some cliff bars and snacks for day one and then we left on Saturday, so I arrived the evening on Thursday in Astoria. Friday, getting ready. Um, Friday evening, everyone meets at the column on top of this hill, and um, the spot trackers and the race hats are all handed out. And then people go to the one of the pubs and just kind of chat have a beer, and
0: and take off to get a good night's sleep before the race. And so that was probably one of your best. Nights of rest, sleep, uh, before, before your race started, I guess. You know, like, one would have hoped, but I was so anxious. I woke up really early,
1: and, um, I was just, like, lying in bed, um, just feeling really nervous about what was, what was going to happen, and once you kind of are awake like that, it's hard to go back to sleep, so I didn't have the, I didn't have the best sleep
0: ever, um.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I, I wish I did, but I, I think I just get too excited about things. And um, and it wasn't all like you know negative energy. A lot of it was really positive. Like I was really, really excited. But it's not conducive to sleeping. Um, whereas when you're on the road and you're completely exhausted all the time, when someone puts like you know a bed in front of you, you just fall face first into it and
0: you know hope that you set your alarm for uh, a time. Otherwise, you'll just keep sleeping. So. That's right. Now, do you remember your, your do you remember your first day on the bike? How long you were on your bike for? Um, I'm not sure. It
1: was it was like a reasonable day. The ride kicked off at six a.m. I believe, mm-hmm. and everyone does a slow rollout. It's like a five uh, five mile kind of group. Everyone together, and um, someone brought champagne, and we all kind of you know were in great moods and. It Exciting, and um, it was a, a nice morning. It was a bit overcast, so it was actually perfect cycling weather. Um, but just the, the ride down the coast was really cool. Um, you know, you couldn't go ten minutes without seeing another racer. It was pretty, pretty crazy with hundred and thirty people. You know, rolling out at the same time. Um, and I would cycled the Pacific Coast before, so I was familiar with where the route went. Um, but I had done it so much slower so it was just incredible to me to be covering so much ground, like even on the first day I was like, how is this possible, how am I going so fast, like this is insane, uh, so that was pretty exciting, and then I um, missed turn off for turning, when you turn in inland, and I kept going, I climbed this hill, and I got to like, you know, the top of the hill marker at 750 feet, and I was like, my GPS dot is off, but he's like maybe the satellites aren't working, and and then I ran into another
0: cyclist who kind of gave me the turnaround sign. And I was like, oh, damn it. Uh, first uh. round turn. Cool.
1: So I learned that how to navigate uh, much better. I wasn't super familiar with using a GPS. Um, I would often kind of relied on, um, well, like paper maps or other people I was riding with, um, other boyfriends. So just having to do it on my own. Uh, yeah, kinda of learning through experience. I was much better further on. I would still make wrong turns, but I would always figure it out like right away, like a hundred feet later, I'd be like, Nope, wrong turn, you're gonna u turn so I didn't get off course
0: um, you know, badly at her. Wow. So you're you had a two hundred kilometer day warm up ride. You didn't yeah, get and then I had a day of rest. A day of rest. I guess. I biked up to the column and then I biked um, to like a neighboring town to Fred Meyer to get some batteries. Right. So uh, that's a day of rest. And then you're off and, and and riding. Describe a typical day during the race. Tell us what, what um, somebody could expect if they're ever considering something like this. Yeah, so um, you wake up. I always set an alarm and uh, kind of
1: try and spring out of bed. Um, The faster you can kind of peel off the band-aids, the better I find. So um, if I was staying in uh, a motel, I'd kind of jump out of bed, wash my face, brush my teeth. I'd always aim to be on the road within a half hour because otherwise you're um, just wasting time. I should say that I often took more than a half hour, but I think having goals is important. So um, for breakfast, I tried to buy food the night before, so I didn't have to go anywhere and get food. so this is probably like 5 a.m. I'm drinking chocolate milk and probably like an egg salad sandwich or a ham and cheese sandwich or something like that. Um, banana, Mars bar. Um, I had uh, one of the, like, the only supplements I brought with me was pre-workout because the stuff I use is pretty concentrated. So I could carry that um, carry that with me. So I got my little scoop of pre-workout and um, yeah. And then kind of Take a quick glance at where you're going to be going that day, and and head out. Um, I aim to stop every every few hours, and you kind of you know check and see what towns are what towns are going to be coming up that would have um, services like grocery store or diner. And a lot of small towns um, don't have anything. So if you uh, you know if you're banking on like getting water and getting a snack someplace, and you arrive there. And, there's nothing open, it's a real letdown, so it's good to have an idea of what's coming up, I guess, and make sure you have some snacks. Um, yeah, I, I stopped for usually one sit-down meal a day, and the rest of the time I was just grab and go at gas stations, so I think my nutrition really suffered. Um, I had a lot, of, a lot of Starbucks iced coffees, um, and Gatorade, uh, like bananas and apples when they had them, a lot of, a lot of chocolate bars, and...
0: Got sandwiches, which are too bad, I guess. So, what kind um, of what candy. What kind of days were you riding, like you know twelve sixteen hour days? Uh, yeah, kind of aiming for about three hundred kilometers. that seems to be kind of the
1: target. Um, I think my average for the race is two seventy five uh, and that included some really short days because of weather. but so around three hundred kilometers, um, so probably breaking at around like. for breaks around the 60 kilometer mark and then maybe like 150, 200, 250 and then hoping you're going to end up where you're going to sleep um, around 300 Um, yeah and I think usually uh, after lunch time I would start to crash from just digesting and being on the bike you know for like 8 hours Uh, so pushing through that was always a challenge I would always try and you know, make sure that I had, like, a piece of gum or some candy to eat. I think just, like, chewing helped keep me awake. And I knew that I would be tired, so I would kind of, um, especially later in the race, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, find an afternoon nap so I could pull over and sleep for 20 minutes outside a church or at a park somewhere and get back on the bike and keep going. And that really helped, I think, just, you know, kind of giving myself permission to take that nap instead of riding on the bike when you're, you know, dozy and feeling really lethargic and you can see that your
0: um, mileage is going down, um, just stopping and, you know, letting yourself sleep was uh, a really great feeling. Yeah, I can believe it. So by this point, you're getting beat down pretty good. Your, your body is probably tired. Your brain is, uh, tired as well. What were some of the physical and mental challenges that you were uh, starting to face at this point? Um,
1: I think physically your body, yeah, things just start to fall apart. Like all of your contact points really start to hurt. So like your hands and wrists, uh, your feet and ankles, uh, your butt, all that kind of hurts. Um, One of my biggest physical challenges was my Achilles. At like kind of the end of day four, I started to feel some pain in my Achilles. And um, Achilles had kind of stopped me before, so I was really worried that it would just get worse and worse. And, um, uh, yeah, I kind of realized that I would have to deal with it now if I wanted to be able to keep riding. So I made the decision to slow down a little bit. Uh, I took my arm sleeve and wrapped it around, like, a, a brace inside my shoe to support my Achilles and kind of immobilize it a bit. And, um, yeah, I didn't really... Yeah, I didn't really know what to do to actually help it, but I just tried to focus more on having even pedal strokes and not moving around my ankles so much, Mm -hmm. and I actually thought I would have to take a day off in Missoula and rest and just chill for, a day would be optimistic, probably longer than that, Um, and it just never, it never really got better, but it never really got worse, so I had lowered my feet as well and put my cleats back further. Um, I've been told that that would, you know, help a little bit, and it definitely did, so Uh, I would ride for a few days and my Achilles was, you know, feeling better and then I'd raise my feet up and uh, then it would hurt some more so I'd lower my feet and then my Achilles would feel better but then my knees would be just killing me from having my feet lower so I'd raise it up again. So I kind of did that yo yo thing the entire ride just trying to find the right seat height to uh, support both my knees and my my right Achilles. Um, And what I really needed to do, you know, was just get through the race and take some time off to Um, You know, heal and stretch and rest, but that uh, wasn't really an option if I wanted to keep racing and be competitive. So I felt uh, felt like I did a really good job managing it.
0: So you were going to you you were going to bed sore, and you were waking up sore all over again to to do it all over again day in and day out.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I always felt better when I woke up in the morning, so. If I went to bed and I felt like, you know, I was at, like, 90% of my, like, limit, I'd wake up in the morning and it would be, like, you know, 40, 50%. Like, I felt much better in the morning. And then it kind of builds up over the day and, um, you know, there's... Many nights I can think of riding into small town parks to camp in that I was just like I don't I don't think I could pedal a single kilometer further and you know you have that tunnel vision from watching your headlight to going down the road and not uh, not seeing much change in scenery and then you know you just kind of yeah
0: you just kind of feel like I just I can't did, go on. Did you and, ever? Oh, go ahead. Well, no, I just tunnel vision and going down the roads and did you ever lose track of days or your memory or I don't know even your first name for instance like if you're <laughs> well honestly I mean because if you're you know riding and you know you're getting pretty tired day in and day out I mean it's you know you're getting beat up pretty bad did you ever experience anything like that yeah I love- track of like what day of the week it was pretty quick,
1: um, and I didn't really care. Uh, I lost track of what day of the month it was. Um, I didn't know anything about the places I was going through. I didn't even know what state I was in sometimes, and that kind of bothered me because I like to be an informed traveler, and I like to know what the, what's happening, what's going on around me, but um, I think the Trans Am is more about like uh, an internal journey, I guess, and finding out about yourself. Um, so I would love to go go back and do the route at a normal pace and get to actually uh, hang out and meet people and check out museums and, and stuff, but that'll be another trip. Um, I didn't book my flight home before I left because I didn't, uh, you know, I wanted to complete the race in 25 days, but I actually was kind of scared that I wouldn't finish at all, so I couldn't book my flight home because I was worried I'd have to, like, scratch earlier and fly out of somewhere else, and... Um, once I hit the halfway point, I felt more confident that I was finished, but I just didn't feel like I was mentally capable of booking a flight. Like, I thought I would get it wrong. I just, I just couldn't deal with that at the moment, and I couldn't deal with any of the post-race details at all. Like, my boyfriend was asking me about what I wanted to do for Canada today if I was home, and I was just like, I can't, I can't think about that right now. Like, it hurts my head. Like, I'm barely hanging in here, so yeah you're you kind of end up in a weird state um, there was some days in the south where I think I had a really negative energy I was um, I was tired just beyond belief and there's a lot of um you know people leash their dogs in Kentucky so they all chase you down the road barking and that just got really tiring after a while just you know knowing that around every corner there's some job dog that's gonna chase after you and um yeah, so that was kind of exhausting. So I was in a pretty pretty bad mood for some of the time. And then I would just kind of remember that, like, hey, like, it's a privilege to be here, Megan. Like, you are living your dream right now. You're lucky to be in this um, this place.
0: You're lucky you have your health and finances to be here. So mm-hmm. you better change your attitude, kid. Um <laughs> <laughs> That old self-talk kicking in, I, I guess, right? Yeah, and then you just look
1: around and you're like, I'm you know, across the country and I've made it here on my own steam. and, you know, wherever you are, you can kind of pick up something beautiful whether it's cool hillside or little trees in the distance or, you know, some funky adornment on someone's house or a good view or a good light or a pretty river. So there's always, always something awesome just to, you know, see visually. Um, yeah, once you kind of start spiraling into that that energy, sometimes it's, it's easy to let yourself go down that road and, uh
0: um, and it doesn't even occur to you to be like, hey, I can change my attitude like <laughs> yeah. pretty easily if I wanted to. So. Did your attitude change at all, like once you got a little bit of food in you or, you know, uh, you know, knock back a bottle of water or something like that? Did you notice any differences in, in just, I guess, your attitude? Uh, yeah, I think that um, eating
1: and hydration are, are super important, and sometimes you forget about that and you know sometimes you'd see a gas station in the distance and it would just be like this you know golden thing on the horizon and then they'd walk out of there with an armful full of snacks and just be such a happy camper <laughs> um, yeah I think the biggest difference to me though was sleep just getting sleep no matter how much of it uh, I always felt better after
0: I you know I had some sleep mm-hmm. and um that was that was
1: pretty pretty important uh there was a few times I, you know, put my feet in the river or, you know, jumped in a lake and that that was just an amazing uh yeah, an amazing little relief I guess. The cold
0: water and being able to, you know, goof around for a few minutes and mm-hmm. be like, Hey, this is actually fun like um and I really um am doing that. Yeah, and just kind of unplug and um just kind of a little bit of a change of uh pace and scenery just to kind of get to that good space in your head to be able to get back on your bike again, right? Yeah, and, like, most of the race is really fun. Um, I think just, you know, for me, the sheer excitement and the drill of doing what, uh, you know, what I was doing was enough to keep me going most of the time. And it's just sometimes, you
1: know, I guess probably every day you have your, your low moments and just kind of climbing out of those. Um, the guy I was cycling a lot of the races with, Matias, he was pretty funny, so we uh, was sometimes just, like, I don't know, make each other laugh and I think just having someone
0: else to suffer with kind of is, is ridiculous and we're like why are we doing this again like what's what on earth is even down this stupid road going to nowhere and um yeah it was, it was kind of fun too your nutrition <laughs> your nutrition it sort of sounded like it was on par but it sounds like it may have been um suffering a little bit <laughs> <laughs> that might be an <laughs> uh, yeah. did so you done the, sorry I, go ahead before I did the race I went to see a dietitian a couple
1: times to talk about nutrition and training and um, making sure that I was eating well to be able to train uh, hard and go to work so I was finding that I was tired at work a lot and, and they really helped me dial in my nutrition for training and you know I was um, having protein powder after my ride and making sure that I was in, you know having balanced meals, and uh, I learned a lot of stuff, and it was great, and then as soon as I got on the road, like, all that stuff went out of the window, it was just kind of, like,
0: beating the beast and trying to get enough calories to have energy to keep going forward. So, was um, it to the extreme of uh, Twinkies and Snickers, and, or oh was yeah, it... Oh, definitely. Oh, my goodness, yeah, yeah. really. You know those, like, uh, Little Debbie's, like, mini donuts? <laughs> like, I would buy, like, mini donuts in my cycling
1: jersey and then I'd go to eat them and they'd be smashed and then I'd be like whatever they go down easier now and I'd just like rip open the tubular package and pour it in And I like things that you can pour in your mouth like uh, like I would just peanuts and um, M&M's and yeah. uh, like peach rings and shark candies and just
0: like sugar it was wow. ridiculous did you, drink, um, <laughs> did you have to visit a dentist at all along the way? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay.
1: Uh, the good thing about American gas stations is I feel like they're more well stocked than a lot of the Canadian gas stations. So you do have the option to get things like cliff bars and protein bars, and um, and not just like you know one brand. Like often there's kind of a whole section for that, and you can get like Nutrigrain bars and breakfast bars and. Um, you know, they have muscle milk and, like, a wall of, like, different iced coffee drinks. And, um, you know, some of them would have, like, a really good sandwich selection. Some of them even had salads. And, uh, so that was, it was, you kind of get, you know, a better selection of things. And they also had, um, lots of things like allergy pills and painkillers and, um, diarrhea pills and stuff that you might
0: need. So it was good to know that you could kind of access that stuff easily if you wanted to. Like the real, the real stuff too, right? I mean, because those are those are definitely necessities to have. Myself, I have allergies, and um, you know, having an allergy attack out on your bike or running or whatever, it's not good. It's awful. So yeah, shooting into a store real quick for something like that. More, all the power, right? More power to you. Yeah, definitely.
1: One of my like guilty pleasures was these um, ice Starbucks drinks that had like caffeine and protein and I was like who would ever think to mix like caffeine and protein together and I don't know they weren't like the best tasting things but it was kind of what I what I wanted in the morning so
0: um Go with if I bought them now I would just be like disgusted like why would anyone buy this but when I was cycling I was like this is perfect it's just what I need. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of reminds me of all the different times I've bonked in my life on, you know, rides or whatever, um, bikes. And, you know, some of the crazy, and and that's what they say is like, listen, listen to what your stomach is, is is saying, like, you know, just eat whatever you're craving. And sometimes, you know, you'd walk out of the store and it's just like, this is, you know, going to send me straight to hell but man am i gonna feel i'm gonna feel way better than i do right now once i'm finished This right so yeah no that that's good Nutrition's everything right i mean it's it especially doing this sort of stuff because otherwise uh if you're not getting the right nutrition in yeah you know your body's probably probably cannibalizing itself in a way right of people lose a lot of
1: weight doing this race, Um, and I didn't. I think I I leaned out more. Um, I lost a couple pounds, but I didn't, like, disappear, so I don't know. I think that's that's a good thing. I don't want my body to be, you know, eating itself. I would, uh, yeah, I'd rather kind of stay closer to what I started at, Um, so I remember one time, like, going out and getting pizzas, and I was cycling with a, a few different pizzas, and we each got, like, a large pizza, and we ate half of them and brought the other half uh, with us and ate it for, like, dinner at midnight later, and I was just, like, this is disgusting, Like, I totally <laughs> ate a pizza in a period of six hours, and, like, just all the grease and cheese and, um, yeah, and it's... I don't know, it didn't, didn't bother my stomach at all. So I felt pretty, pretty lucky because I've had problems with um, digestion before, and I've had situations where, you know, I've been out on a 400-kilometer ride, and i like, no, no, I don't want to eat. And my ride buddy's being like, no, no, you've got to eat. And I would be like, I'll have this V8 juice. And they're like, that's not food. And I'd be like, I'm fine. And then an hour later, I'm, you know, bonking and barely able to stay on the bike. And they're pouring muscle milk down my
0: throat and telling me to smarten up. Did you have a... So I- Did you have a go-to snack when you were out there? Uh, Yeah, I think
1: my go-to was actually chocolate milk. Um, It doesn't Uh. carry well, but it, it made me feel good. It made me pick me up pretty good. It's cool and refreshing. I would have it before I went to bed or when I got up in the morning. When I went into a gas station and I, you know, grab a liter of chocolate milk, I would just I'd be a happy camper. I'd be like a you know little kid carrying her dolly around,
0: and and then I drink it. Uh, <laughs> you would drink an entire liter of chocolate milk, or I'd would have, in one sitting? Yeah, in about, yeah in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> and then go ride. Yeah. yeah. Wow. When I, them, when I took them
1: to go to bed, I would uh, have a liter, and I drink half of it before
0: bed, and I drink the other half in the morning. But when I was on the road, I would I would just drink it that's right well sugar first thing in the morning like what uh what better way to start it off right sugar and you know chocolate milk has lots of it in it just to kind of get you jazzed right back up again right yeah yeah, get me smiling (laughs) were you what were you doing to keep yourself motivated out on the road
1: Um, Just kind of thinking about, like, how lucky I was to be there and um, also what my goals were that I wanted to finish in under 25 days. And um, a huge motivator was looking at the tracker. So uh, for this race, everyone wears, like, a tracking device so you can see where all your competitors are and where all the other riders are. And it's really cool because the people I met at the – Um, in Astoria, you know, people that I saw at the start line and might not have seen after that, I could be like, oh, okay, so Clay is in this town right now, and he's about to enter Illinois, or you could kind of see where people are at, and I was super inspired by the the riders ahead of me and just seeing, like, the crazy time they were making, um, especially Janie and Amy, the two female riders ahead of me, Um, and then the idea that someone could be behind you creeping up on you is a huge motivator. So if I check the tracker and someone, you know, 10 miles behind me and I wasn't feeling motivated, all of a sudden you're like, holy smokes, they're going to catch me. We got to pick up the pace here. So, uh, yeah, I think having that kind of competitive spirit was really, um, really a good, good kick to get going again. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is like when someone did catch up with you you'd be like oh man damn it they caught me and you start talking to them and you know of course they're
0: like a really cool person and you're like oh that's 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 great i'm really
1: glad i've met them even if it means they passed me you know like Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh, great it's a really fun event that way i think
0: maybe other people don't see it like that but i think in general people um yeah really had a lot of admiration and respect for the other riders around them Mm -hmm. now we've been talking lots about um, that the, the you know riding your bike. But we haven't actually talked about your bike specifically, um, so I had a few questions. Like, for instance, what kind of tires were you using, and um, what kind of gearing were you using, and uh, what kind of bike were you riding? You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll preface this with I'm not the most techy person in the world. And I
1: uh, have never had a road bike before, so I've ridden, like, this Norco commuter bike for forever, and I've done a whole bunch of awesome trips on it, and I love it, and it's great, but I want to see a bike that was fast and fun to ride and that uh, I could do endurance stuff with. So I um, got a Cannondale Synapse, and it's, it's carbon, and so it's really light, and it's just, like, super fun. I remember the first time I took it out. I, like, couldn't believe how fast I was going, and I was like, oh, I must have a tailwind. I must have a killer tailwind, and when I turned around to go home, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm even faster. Like, now I have a tailwind, so it was just so, so cool for me to, to be able to experience speed like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, flash forward to day 20 of the Trans Am, and I can't keep up a pace of 20 kilometers an hour
0: because I'm so exhausted, but, mm-hmm. you know. It, yeah. fast. it is what um, it is, right? What kind? Did you have flats? What kind of tires were you running on your bike? Uh so I used um gator
1: skins, and they're I think like um kind of known to
0: be a bit, bit more durable than mm-hmm. other um tires. Gator skins, or, it, yeah. I feel like I should check. But no, no, that's I'm okay. I mean, you, mean you know, I'm just, uh, we're we're just curious. Uh ten speed or eleven yeah. speed? Uh, Do you remember? What year is your bike? Let me ask you that. It's 2016. So it's probably an 11-speed. It's probably an 11-speed. That would make good sense. Or you, you're looking at your bike now? No, I'm not looking at it Oh, okay, okay. Well, no, no, that's fine. What about... Um, I feel like it is 11-speed. I feel like it is from... Um, I would imagine it is. Yeah, it's, you know, that's pretty much the common theme these days. Now, what kind of... Um, I don't know, what would you call it? Like, you were packing your stuff in something, and that would have been attached to your bike, of course. Um, Yeah. uh, I had a frame bag. It wasn't like a full,
1: like, it didn't take up the whole, like, kind of triangle. The frame was just along the top tube. Mm I it was a top tube bag. Um, And I had a small bag kind of on the top tube by my handlebars. and It wasn't very big at all. It was kind of for my cell phone and... um, other things. I'm trying to think what I would put in there. My wallet, which was my sunglasses case that <laughs> I put my ID and stuff in. Um, you know, some gum or whatever. Um, and I kept all of my snacks on my person because I didn't have room to put them anywhere else. Um, behind my bike seat, I had like a
0: like oh man. So uh, I zip tied it to the seat and that gave it a bit more really oh wow anymore but
1: yeah most people have pretty good clearance but i don't have like a, a big bike frame i guess and it was just not not very much space in there um and then i had on top of my aero bars that kind of had a little flat area um and i would tie things to that so that would be like my rain jacket or my sleeves when i took them off or you know a handful of granola bars or um, yeah, kind of, kind of whatever. I couldn't put anywhere else. I would just put on there with elastic bands because they're super light, and you can always find more of them. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty, pretty light bike setup. Uh, it um, yeah, everything felt good. I had been using it for the past month or two, so I would go out for all my training rides with this um, this kind of gear setup. And I think my kind of one mistake, I guess, was not loading the seatpost bag full of stuff, uh, because
0: with uh, without too much stuff in it, it was fine, but once I kind of put, you know, all my stuff in it that I would need to bring, it was a bit too, bit too much with the seat down low, so. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Pretty, you know, pretty minimalistic, uh, pretty efficient in terms of what you're packing around. This this event this race this this time that you took off and and all things considered what do you estimate that it would uh, it would cost you know somebody to um to do a race like the trans am that you just completed um like
1: i i literally like do not want to think of how much money i wasted in gas stations like it's kind <laughs> of depressing um But the race fees are really reasonable. Um, I think it was like one hundred and fifty or something like that. to to the race and spot track rental fee. It was pretty reasonable. If you have one, you can use that. Um, I had to get quite a bit of quite a bit of gear, and I think if you're a more experienced rider, you wouldn't need to get so much gear. So um, yeah, I don't really have a good number for you. I I'm not good with technology or finances.
0: So, well sort of just do things and hope they work out. Um yeah. maybe in the neighborhood of five thousand. I'm only asking because they <laughs> say they say typically for your first Ironman event, you know, plan on plan on spending for the year in the neighborhood of ten thousand dollars. And um okay. you know, and that's you know, considering all your other races that you do and just all the you know, that's kind of a combined total for um, leading up to the uh, the day of an event um, like right. Ironman, right? So I was just kind of curious yeah. what it might cost somebody. I mean, it's just probably closer to the five thousand range than the ten, just
1: because there's uh, there's less in terms of like entry fees and you know pre race stuff. I
0: guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the part that just kind of uh, like hurt me a little bit was um, the conversion rate. I just kind of forgot how um, you know how much the American dollar was different from the Canadian dollar. That's right. I things think like it. Go ahead, sorry. At the end just paying like the you know,
1: paying to get my bike on the plane was like hundred and fifty US dollars and I was like,
0: Oh man, like right. are you
1: kidding me? And I had paid like seventy five Canadian to get it down there and uh so things like that just were we're, we're a little hard to deal with right at the end of the trip when you're starting to rustle with money, right?
0: But, yeah. Well, no. I don't know. Maybe somebody who started with more money wouldn't be running low well at the end. But, That's uh, right. That's right. Do you have any other pla- uh, events planned for um, this, I guess, this year or maybe uh, perhaps in the you know next season? Yeah. Yeah. For
1: sure. So I'm a member of the Prairie Rondineers,
0: which
1: mm-hmm. is kind of our local ultra-distance cycling club. Um, so, like, a week after I got home, I did a 600-kilometer ride with them, that was pretty cool, um, and then I'm doing a 1200 ride, uh, called the Granite Anvil in Ontario in uh, August, so I'm really stoked about that, uh, just kind of happy to have something else to train for, and, uh, you know, do a ride that's a bit, a bit shorter than across the continent, um, yeah, I think it'll be fun, and... I guess I definitely want to do another big endurance event uh, next year, but I don't know what form that will take right now. So I think that having a short-term goal like the August 1200 rides to train for is really um, what's going to motivate me right now, I guess,
0: for the, for the rest of the summer. And then I'll figure things out after that. Hmm. Well, who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. engineer ride, it's called Paris-Brest-Paris, and it goes from well, in France to Paris to Paris and back to Paris. It's a 1,200-kilometer ride, so it's kind of like um, a pretty huge event in the sport of Engineering.
1: they get like a turnout of 5,000 people, so uh, I'll definitely do that,
0: and it takes place in 2019, so it's a couple of years from now. But... Yeah, yeah, well, you know, um, there's also a couple closer to home. I was just... Noticing also as well there's the Hurton Albert, albertan Alberton, just one province over for you, from you. That's a great race name. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought we should be plugging something Canadian at least, right? <laughs> oh no, I'll have to check that out. You've me. <laughs> yes, yes. So let me ask you this. If um if you're gonna if somebody was gonna ask you for some advice on um doing an endurance bike race like this what advice would you give them what would you um, what would you tell them um
1: I would say that um, train hard <laughs> I think that uh, a lot of people I met in the race maybe weren't quite prepared to, to do all the climbing that was in the route and to kind of do the kind of mileage that you need to do to cross the country and they um yeah, I think some people I met kind of expected that they would be able to train while they were riding to be able to finish the race and, and get stronger, um, and that might be true for like certain people, but uh, I found that I got weaker as I went along, and it was harder and harder to keep the mileage up, so um, I really, uh, if I could go back and do it again, I would have spent less time working and more time training in a couple months leading up to the race, and I you know, I'm really happy that I did as well as I did. And I think that I have a lot of, um, I don't know, maybe it's a awful memory or kind of experience from other races that I was not races, um, like rides that I would be able to pull in. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if you don't train for it, you're, you know, probably going to let yourself down at some point, or you might have kind of repetitive strain injuries that you can't cope with. And I think that,
0: um, you know, having a goal, um, isn't enough, you need to have a goal, and you need to have a training plan, and you need to hold yourself accountable to that training plan as well, um, and, yeah, it's, it's super important you're not just magically going to, you know, be on the race line and be able to compete with all that stuff you do in the months, and, you know, for some people, years are looking up to a race that, that um, you know, come into play, so, um, yeah, training, training, training. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it also includes things like, uh, you
1: know, I guess all sorts of preparations, like learning about the roots and, um, you know, dialing in your nutrition and, um, you know, having the right gear for the right ride. That stuff all, all is a, a really important factor, but I think just preparing your body
0: um, is it's huge and, you know, the most the most important thing. That's right, yeah. So you're saying, essentially that should have some goals. That's definitely going to help. Um, committing to yourself is also a big one. Uh, something else that would probably help is studying the course, the actual route that you're going to be riding and, and um, you know, paying attention to, um, I don't know, what towns are coming up and stuff like that so that you can buy stuff, right?
1: Definitely, yeah. And, it, uh, you know, you can't... Um can't know what's going to be around every turn, but having an idea of, um, you know, the elevation profile and when you're going to be hitting the big climbs um, and, you know, where the towns of Bike Shops are going to be, those are all important things to to either, you know, have written down somewhere or, you know, where you can find that information or kind of, you know, just have a basic
0: understanding of of the event so definitely doing your homework is probably at the top of that list and that's kind of the the umbrella term for for you know setting yourself up for this event um where else uh if if people are trying to contact you um you know people can follow you on instagram at um megan hacken hacken and um do you have a blog or a website or anything like that that people can um, contact you at? No, no, I don't. Um, but if you send me a message on
1: Instagram, I, uh, I'll i fully respond and I'd be happy to, you know, answer some questions about their ride or, um,
0: you know. Just like shoot me a message on Instagram if you want to talk about something. I'm there. That's nice and easy. That's simple. You know, and you you can always uh, add you know a blog or something like that to the um, Facebook FitSpeak page. Um, we'd be super happy to have um, any information or any extra insight on our FitSpeak page um, because it's it's pretty comprehensive what we're talking about here. There's a lot of different angles and a lot of different different doors that open up when you're talking about um you know uh an endurance sport and especially one of this magnitude it's just you know it's uh it's system overload really yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know um one, one of the ways i prepared for the ride was reading other people's blogs so those resources are are really valuable and it's great to see you know what other people have done and you know
1: how to kind of face some of the challenges and just being being able to, um, yeah, be a bit more prepared. So that's cool that you guys are sharing all that
0: information for people. Yes, yep, that's what. Well, that's what we're about. We're health, wellness, and endurance, right? So I mean, um, three three pretty vast topics, um, and uh, you know, we're always looking to find and contact people such as yourself, uh, just to share all the information that you've learned along the way right well thanks for having me you're uh, welcome really yes um, okay well I guess we'll wrap it up yeah we'll wrap it up now um, we wanted to thank you for um, coming out or coming on to the the FitSpeak um, podcast today and uh, we we wish you lots of success in in the future in your next ride that's coming up thank you thanks for having me
1: and I'm so to follow along and um you know just listen to the podcast and get
0: to be a better athlete <laughs> that's right all right thanks megan thank you